This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. Smaller local ski areas are vital to our industry. They also might be the most vulnerable this winter with limited facilities and resources with which to address the challenges that this winter will present. But if predictions are correct, an expanded drive market could flood these areas with greater demand. On this episode, we talk with operators from big mountains with small facilities and small mountains with big facilities and a few mom and pop areas too. These areas have traditionally offered less frills and more skiing and riding. Many have one lodge to provide F&B, rental, and ski school services. How are these areas, from the mountains of the west to the 250 vertical hills in the east and midwest, providing the thrills and fun of downhilling and an escape from the COVID stress? We'll start the discussion here with SAM publisher, Olivia Rowan. So thank you so much for joining us today for our Monday huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of SAM Magazine, and um, our co-host, lead host, is Rick Call, editor of SAM. And today we're going to talk about the unique challenges and opportunities of small ski areas. Um, So today we have uh, our panelists are Scott Brandy, who's president of Sandy Ski Areas of New York, Lindsay Delorier, who is the VP COO of Bolton Valley, Vermont, Ben Dornbus, who is the GM of Nubs Knob Ski Area in Michigan. Aaron Maddox is the operation manager at Snowy Range Ski and Recreation Area in Wyoming. And Robert McClendon, who is a ski area manager at Tahoe Donner Ski Area in California. A quick editorial correction. Lindsay Delorier was promoted to president and CEO of Bolton Valley in July of 2019. Rick, um, why don't you set us up? Okay, thanks a lot, Olivia. Small areas face different challenges, and I dare say even opportunities in this COVID season. Most smaller areas are less dependent on season pass sales than larger resorts, and most have a more local market. Small areas may well benefit from those drive markets and a reluctance to fly to destinations this winter. This summer, people have kept their outdoor activities closer to home, and RRC surveys show that skiers and riders plan to do the same this winter. Those are positive indicators for small areas. But small areas typically have fewer resources than the major players and have to be more careful in how they use them. That said, most areas of all sizes are planning to make the usual plans for social distancing, masking, and sanitizing. Many are pushing advanced online booking for rentals, ski school, and lift tickets. But there are lots of variations and exceptions to the norm, and we'll be hearing about those from our panel. One last thing. When we talk about small ski areas, we often mean some combination of small size or uh, lower visit totals. But as we organize this huddle, we realize that most areas measure their own size in relation to their neighbors or to the multi-area companies. What often determines how resorts view their size is their own ownership model and their resources. We realize that if you think you're a small area, you are. So what are some of the unique challenges that small areas um, are taking this winter? Let's start with Scott Brandy, head of ski areas of New York. His members include some very small areas as well as others that push the upper boundary of what I would consider small. And being in a state that was one of the first to experience COVID-19 in a major way, the state's ski areas are dealing with, shall we say, an active and attentive government. So Scott, What is the state of play in New York, and how are your smaller members adapting? Well, thank you. Uh, It's a pleasure to participate today. Hello, everybody. 
yes, uh, that's very well said. New York is uh, unique in a lot of ways. Uh, first of all, we have 50 ski areas more than any other state in the country. And of those 50 ski areas, most of them are self-described. Uh, any of us would describe them as small ski areas. You know, let me, let me start with this. I think, um, and this is going to play into the capacity word, the word that when we're dealing with governments, local, statewide, in any of our conversations, a word we try to avoid and they constantly try to uh, put into the conversation. Um, one of the things we really struggled with and we still are today is a lot of the advanced announcements that came out from the larger ski areas. Advanced announcements about how they're going to operate that has really affected the view, at least here in New York and from what I've heard some of, from some of my other state association colleagues, of how we should operate. A small ski area, for a lot of different reasons, is much, much different than some of the larger mega resorts that, um, that are in our uh, ski industry family. Um, we had to deal with in New York the view from 45,000 feet where they thought, number one, all of our customers were destination resort customers. And that's such a basic discussion we had to have over and over again. And I think that's an important place to start is who is our customers? And Rick, you alluded to that. Our customers are day skiers. They're not destination skiers. They're not coming from all over the world. And when we're dealing with COVID, that's a very, very important uh, thing to, to speak, speak to. Um, looking at capacity, I think that's something I hope we speak quite a bit on. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to learn what our panel and participants have to say about how we're going to control capacity when we have some ski areas that still are taking uh, revenue and putting it in a cigar box. Uh, we have such different levels of sophistication. Um, Thanksgiving Day or be it the day before Christmas, whenever our small ski areas open, how are we as small skiers without having the technology to deal with advanced registrations, advanced ticket sales, some at any level, some at lesser levels? How are we going to control the inevitable crowd, the pent up energy that's going to be showing up and coming to our ski areas? I think that's a really big question. We wanna open for the season and stay open for the season. And with social media, uh, with the press, I, and I was—I had two calls already this morning dealing with this. I, I get them every day from the press. Um, how are we going to deal with the inevitable capacity issues? I mean, I mean, Rick, I just wanted to open with that. Who are our customers? I think that plays very well into the small ski areas. They're not destination. And the question, really polling the question, is how are we going to deal with capacity when we don't have the levels of sophistication to deal with it and the high bar that's been set. I mean, we had announcements coming out in August and we've been saddled and dealing with that daily here in New York. Scott, what are some of the steps some of your ski areas, especially the smaller ones have, have, have taken or are considering to take? Sure, Rick. Uh, parking lot capacity. Um, I think that's, that's one of them, uh, communication. Um, I mean, if you don't have uh, the ability to limit ticket sales online, uh, it does make it very difficult and you could end up with some, uh, some bad uh, feedback from your customers. I think that's a challenge. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of ski areas are recognizing that. A lot of our smaller ski areas are recognizing that and taking a step forward in trying to um, uh, acquire 
the uh, technical abilities to do ticket sales online. So I think that's what a lot of people are looking at right now in dealing with, uh, with that inevitable issue. Okay. Um, given how um, sensitive, perhaps, your regulators are, what are you doing to make the state comfortable with the protocols the resorts have developed? And in particular, um, how are you dealing with things like contact tracing or if an outbreak occurs at a resort? That's, that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, thank you. Um, if a ski area is taking cash transactions at a ticket window, we are going to require in New York State whether the governor's office requires it or not to the level that we can require it as a, uh, a best practice, a recommended practice, that everybody takes contact information at the point of sale, whether you're taking cash or a credit card. Um, in New York State, we've put that forward as a best practice. The governor's office here in New York is very sensitive to that. I'm sure all of your leadership is sensitive to that. They should be. We should be. I think we have a, a social obligation. So that's uh, what we put forward. And, and Rick, just the, the, the short answer of what we've done is using the NSAA's um, Ski Safe, Be Safe. I, I always get it, Be Safe, Ski Safe. I'm always flip-flopping them. But Be well. It works either way, right? It works either way. It does. Um, using that as um, we, we used a lot of that in our initial deck that we presented. Uh, the uh, went over very well. Of course, we added our own slides and uh, adopted a lot of that. And we've since um, had different committees, operating committees for different departments, and we've put together a 40-page document for recommended practices within our state. Uh, you know, plagiarism is the mother of invention, and uh, you know, I think we've got a great document and used a lot of people's ideas. And lastly, we have a 150-page document. I mean, if, if, if the number of pages gives anything credibility, maybe this does, where we took all the um, practices and guidelines that are currently in place in New York, and we put them into an index. So a ski area, one of our ski areas can go online to this, this resource and figure out what guidelines are already in place. Because remember, we've been operating, and we have a lot of guidelines that have been in place, restaurants, uh, lounges, retail, rental, outdoor, some outdoor activities. Gotcha. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so next up is Ben Dornbus, who's the GM, as I, we mentioned, of Nubs Knob in Michigan. Um, ben, why don't you start and give me sort of a, a you know, one minute or less of your, your market, your facility, your, your, your brand. What's, what's, your, what's your unique situation there? just for those that might not know uh, about Nubs Knob. Sure, so Nubs Knob is based in Northern Michigan, uh, just at the tip of the mid up here. Uh, beautiful location, uh, but we aren't a high population area. We're, we've got a population of maybe um, 30,000 that's sort of local to us. Um, and the rest of the market is driving up from either the Detroit, the Detroit area or the Grand Rapids area. So we've got a um, strong local market, but it's not massive. Um, and you know we do about 150,000 skier visits a year. Uh, we've got 452 uh, feet of vertical here, so not as big as most areas. But um, Nubs is known as being the skier destination of the upper Midwest, um, along with our friends across the street, Boyne Highlands. Uh, if you want to ski in northern Michigan, you come up to our valley and ski. They're at uh, Nubs Knob or Boyne Highlands. Those are the places to be. 
Um, and you had mentioned um, that you, well, when you, when the reason I I'd reached out to you is I was looking around at different operating um, protocols for resorts in, in the Midwest area and yours stuck out to me because um, you are very much uh, going the, the opposite direction of um, some of the big guys and what, what they, you know, what Vail's putting out and all that. Um, on your website, you say, currently we do not plan to restrict daily ticket sales. Lift tickets will be available for sale outdoors at the ticket window. We do not plan online ticket sales or any advanced purchase options. Um, and, you know, and, and no caps on the, on the season pass sales. Um, so give us a little, a little reasoning and, and, and thought process of, of where, where you're going with this. Yeah, uh, great question. So we beat this up like all of you have too, um, a lot of different ways. And uh, you know, we thought about it, about you know our market, we're really a drive to destination, we're not a fly to destination. Um, most of our small ski areas have a lot of fixed grip chairlifts. We're able to uh, distribute our skiers across the hill very efficiently. Um, at Nubs, even on the busiest, busiest, busiest of days, like a two minute, three minute lift line would be a lot because we have eight fixed gripped uh, lifts servicing the area. Um, what we did when we were thinking about this is we looked at what other people were doing. We thought about our space and we said, you know, we don't really have a problem on the slopes. We're pretty, we're pretty comfortable with the amount of people we have on the hill. Um, what we're not comfortable with is the inside space. And so we thought it was really important to try to unmarry those two things. Um, so we've been very clear in our communication that, yeah, we're not going to limit our season pass sales. We're not going to limit daily ticket sales. Um, we've thought about jumping online, but, you know, just implementing technology for technology's sake, uh, when we really weren't ready to do that, didn't make sense to us. So we're continuing on with daily tickets being sold in person only, no advanced purchases. Um, but we are totally ready to shut down all interior spaces of the lodge um, as needed. So we found ways to do that, to limit space, to control numbers inside. And we're being very forward with our messaging that if you want to come here and ski, that's awesome. We can't wait to have you. Uh, but boot up at the car and probably bring your own food because there's a good chance you're not going to come into these spaces. And the reaction we've received is just fantastic. Uh, people are... Um, generally speaking, just stoked to be able to go skiing. They want to go ski and they say, hey, if what I need to do is drive up with a bunch of PB&Js and boot up in the vehicle and hike out to the slopes, that's fine. Um, I'm just glad to be able to go skiing. So that's, that's kind of our approach and I understand it's very different than what's going on at a lot of the larger areas, but I think for small ski areas, it's a model that's going to work for us. And um, how are your season pass sales going? up uh in fact never better um last year we broke the record by a lot and we just beat that yesterday so um things are looking up congratulations um and uh did you learn what do you do in the summer did you learn anything from the summer lessons that you're going to carry forward no i just go to the beach in the summer we don't do anything <laughs> here <so. laughs> yeah um no we we didn't uh we we don't have summer operations um I noticed we've got some friends from Boyne Highlands uh, on this call and uh, they have been doing summer operations. Uh, we've been in communication with some of the folks over there and um, they've been doing a fantastic job with, uh, you know, the masking, the signage and setting that expectation. Um, and we are a tourist destination up in this uh, region of Northern Michigan. Um, so we're certainly used to 
you know, the things that we need to be ready for. But um, no, we haven't had a deal with operations yet, other than we had an event this um, Saturday and we learned a lot there. So, um, and you said you, you might not be able to provide access to the indoor space. Um, obviously, restrooms would be excluded from that or, or not, yeah? Right, right. So, um, uh, without getting too specific on the operations plan, certainly we're going to have a bank of uh, outhouses here if you can't get inside. Um, but the other things we're doing is we're, we're, we've got maybe 10 exits on our main lodge, and we're thinking about essentially shutting down all of those uh, doors and making only one entry into the lodge. Every everything else services as an exit, um, and then having there's. Uh, you know, these laser counters that are available that can basically feed information to an iPad. So you can figure out how many people you have in your lodge. And if you have only one open spot to come into the lodge, you can have a greeter there and a gateway saying, hey, you know, our lodge can only hold, say it's 400 people. Um, and we're at 400 right now. So you just can't come in. Um, and then you might have to point folks to the outhouses at that point. But um, I. I estimate, and I th we're going to have maybe 15 to 20 days here where we would have capacity problems with where we're at in northern Michigan. Um, but, you know, we got to be ready for that. And, and outhouses right now is probably the best we can do once we get beyond capacity. And, and what are you doing if, if that's not an option for food? And are you supplying any kind of, are you doing anything new this winter, indoor, outdoor for, for food and bev? Yep. Yep. We're doing a number of things. We've got two things that we're doing. We um, about tripled the size of our outdoor patio space this summer. Um, we built in like a food truck type venue that's going to just do a simple rotating menu of probably things like burritos, pulled pork sandwiches, stuff that's just fast and easy to eat without needing condiments. Um, and then in our pub, we've got all of these windows in our pub and we just took a big window and we turned it into a slider. Um, and, you know, you can put food menus on the web pretty easily now. Um, so we're gonna take you know our 10 most popular items from our cafeteria and offer them for online sales. So that pickup window is gonna service just as a pickup window, not as an additional place, but you can actually uh, order curly fries or uh, a sandwich from our, our um, cafeteria and pick it up at this window. Uh, it sounds like something you might actually keep going forward if, if this works out, this sort of grab and go to go windows and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I just saw a question coming in on our on our rental space too. I'm happy to yeah, answer that. Yeah, um, Looks like this is from Dave. Uh, so for rentals for us, you know, rental is actually probably the area I would be most worried about as a small operator. As most of us know, you get a couple hundred people jammed into that rental and uh, it can just be chaos in there. And um, I'm sure I've gotten the flu a number of times just from you know walking in there and helping out for a while. But what we're hoping to do, what we're working on right now is basically make it so the environment inside of rentals is very calm, which I'll describe in a second. But um, what we're doing before you get to rental is we have a greeter at the door and essentially it's gonna be sending a text alert to the phone that now it's your turn to enter the rental department. Um, so that's kind of how we're, planning on doing that. So we, what we don't want to see, is, or, and I don't think any of us want to see just lines being built up outdoors. That doesn't make any sense. So they're going to have to go back to their vehicle, you know, wait as if they were in a restaurant, get a text alert to the phone. It's your turn to now come into rental. And then once they get into the rental, um, we're developing this pod system where essentially 
you go to the register, you uh, do what you need to do at the till, and then you sit down at an area to be um, booted up, but you're in a confined space, meaning it's a taped off, and your family sits at that pod, and all of this stuff comes to the pod, meaning we don't want to have people walking around, I'm going to boots, I'm going to skis, I'm going to poles, I'm going to the locker. Everything comes to the person in the pod. Um, so even though it doesn't change the capacity, it changes the flow. And we're going to have four different pods and we're going to have rental employees working at defined pod. Um, and so that way we're able to do contact tracing too. So God forbid something happens. We'll say, you know, Joe and Sam were working pod number one and they serviced this stack of rental forms, which we could contact trace. Um, and once you're done with getting all of your gear, uh, you walk out of the pod and you have to exit the building. We're not doing coin lockers. Uh, we're not doing, you know, when you get one chance, you come in, you get gear, we'll service you, and then uh, you're done until you're done for the day. So um, that's how we're planning on doing it. I know a lot of people are putting up tents and other things uh, for our space. That just didn't make sense. Great. Thank you so much, Ben. Okay, next up is Aaron Maddox, who is the owner and operator of Snowy Range in Wyoming. Snowy Range is one of the smaller mountains among the Rocky Mountain resorts, and it has a well-defined local market. Aaron and his family have owned and run the area for eight years or so, and they've more than doubled visits during that time. Aaron, please tell the audience a bit more about your small area business, the state's um, laissez-faire approach to COVID control, and the types of changes you're making to deal with, with COVID. Yeah, you the ones that you've wanted to make all along and now have a really good excuse to do. Yeah, thanks, Rick. We're, uh, we're relatively small, but we're within a couple hours of, say, Steamboat, Winter Park, maybe three hours to Vail. So it's pretty saturated that way. But, you know, we service kind of southeastern Wyoming and northern Colorado. We even dip down into Denver a little bit. And we, you know, we've, we've really carved out our spot in the world here by just being so much cheaper than those big guys that we don't even see ourselves as having competition from them. It's a, di it's a different industry really. Um, you know, and, and we are in Wyoming. So, you know, hearing uh, Scott talk about the state caring what you do, that's news to us. Um, <laughs> you know, we had the health officer up here and there's guidelines, they exist, but she, she told us there's no enforcement mechanism and she probably wouldn't be back. She seemed a little defeated. Um, you know, so we're, we're sort of in a quandary a little bit on our own where we're not, you know, we're having to make our own choices as to employee health and safety and guests and, and really how we're going to do that because we're not receiving much guideline. Uh, really, the burden of public health has been pushed onto me. I'm a CPA, not my thing. Um, so what we're trying to do is, is, is take the big guys as, as guidelines a little bit just because in this region, they're really setting the expectation we share customers to some degree. So people we've let the big guys lead the way they set the cultural expectation and then we don't look like the jerks when we come in and do the same thing somewhat. Um, but we have taken the opportunity to implement some policy that I've always kind of wanted to do. Um, and they, I, they make sense for us. They might not make sense for everyone, but I've always had sort of a dream of being able to take the risk and just getting rid of season passes. Totally. Um, didn't work out this year. We curtailed them early. Uh, thinking that might drive numbers down and we just sold just as many so that that didn't totally work out for us um, I mean revenue wise it did but you know um, We also get a big group of you know, we service kind of all the way down to Omaha, Nebraska um, Guys in their Union Pacific coveralls will show up and they'll ski with us all day and have a great time uh, But they bring their own food in and they'll set up camp and they'll 
we've seen people barbecuing on the decks and they, they kind of take over. And so we've, you know, in the interest of health, as well as my own personal interest, we've asked them just to keep everything in the car. You know, we've, we've got the, we've got a pretty big area. We can seat about 800 people in our main cafeteria and we've, we've cut that down to about 200. So we just can't let people camp out and put up their pack and plays and um, that's just not going to go. But that's, that's great. We've always wanted to do that. And we've always had a bit of pushback. So we're, we're kicking out the cooler crowd a little bit. Uh, we'll still let you bring your sandwich in because we think that's core to who we are. But, you know, not camping out, not spending a lot of time in the lodge, um, you know, and really just trying to drive the day ticket sale. We, we have a ton of room outside. We're limited by parking and our lodge. And so if we can drive the higher yield stuff, and cut out all that. We've cut every discount we give. We've cut all of our groups out. We've gotten rid of just all this stuff, all this fluff that we've added over the years that I just don't like, but I've never been able to justify getting rid of. We've cut it and then we'll introduce it when times return to normal, sort of as, a, as we see fit. Um, but I'm really treating it like a reinvention of how I want to do business. And then a lot of times I feel like we're just getting abused and I don't know why, but I can't really cut it out. So here we are. Yeah. Aaron, you sound like a CPA gone wild. <laughs> well, that's a good thing, Rick. <laughs> uh, um, you mentioned doing online sales. What sort of online booking system do you do? We, we, uh, we, we're doing everything online right now. We're only going to do walk up. You, know, you got to walk up and redeem your product with us. But we're going to try to cut you know, online rental reservations. We've done it for years, too. So we didn't have to implement anything. We've, we've been doing that. Um, but we're, we're trying to really push the guest into to reserving tickets, reserving rentals, lessons, all that stuff online with us so that we know, we know what kind of tidal wave is or is not coming at us that day. And then we haven't published what our limits are. So we're, we're going to kind of play it fast and loose and feel like what feels like overwhelmed. And then we'll, we'll cut it back. Right now we kind of set our, you know, the total number of tickets we'll sell on any given day as kind of an estimate of what we think will feel busy. Uh, if we go outside and it feels great, we'll, we'll bump it up a bit. And if it doesn't, we'll, we'll cut it down. And that's, that's kind of how we're trying to control guests. I'm not sure if that'll work or not. Um, but we have a ton of room outside and, you know, no one's really looking over our shoulder. So if we really screw it up, uh, we can recover. That's, that's always a good position to be in. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned you had sort of limited some of your ticketing odds. You mentioned also did something like that with snow sports school. But you also have added a 12-day, two-year pass. We have. And uh, we just straight stole that from Steamboat. They told us we could. Um, and then they got rid of it and we kept it. So um, the reason we did that was sort of to offset. I was anticipating having people mad at us. We cut season pass sales off and maybe selling fewer passes. So we thought this might be a good product to still get you up on sort of a discount, lock you into some days and defer the potential refund liability off of me because I'm not going to refund that, use it next year. Um, so that we didn't have to worry about that if we were shut down because we, we took a hard stance on our passes. We said, we don't, we're not guaranteeing anything. We're in this together. We're partners. It's a little bit of a risk, but our pass is cheap. Let's go. And, and people by and large accepted that. But you know, if they complained, we pushed them to the, to the 12 day, two year product. Um, so far they've been great. I don't know how I feel about them in two years. But, um, Aaron, how much is your pass? $289 preseason full price. And then we've got some tickets. You can add up five days to steamboat product onto that and some stuff. So we drive a fair amount of that and we sell maybe it's not huge, but 
I think this year we sold almost 2,000 passes, something like that. So it's, you know, depending on how many people show up on any given day, it, it might constitute 20 or 30% of our visits on any given day, we're thinking. Okay. And one last thing here before we go on to somebody else. You had mentioned that one of your biggest concerns was not so much outbreaks with your guests, but more with your staff. Could you talk a little bit about what you're doing with your staff, you know, who your staff is and what you might have to do in terms of um, daily checks with them or whatever else might have to happen? Yeah, and we're working on it. And Wyoming, I think, is one of the one of two states maybe that if you're wearing a mask and I'm wearing a mask and I'm positive, if we're both wearing masks, uh, you don't have to quarantine. That they've come out and said that. And so as long as I can keep my staff in masks, even if I get a, a positive case in my staff, if everyone's wearing masks, you know, it, it won't shut me down. What I'm worried about is if, if I'll, we hire a lot of young kids. It's a kind of a scary run by children in a lot of ways. They're, everyone's 21, you know. And I'm, I'm worried about them taking that seriously because if we get the one kid from lift operations, let's say, that spends his lunch hour wandering between all my departments without a mask on, it has the potential to quarantine everybody, regardless of my guest health. We have to have some staff here to run the lifts. And if, if we're all quarantined, I think that would prevent, would, would really be much more likely, I think, than an outbreak of my customers. A, a fair number of our customers, as you can imagine, being in Wyoming and Nebraska, they, they don't take this seriously at all. I think they're going to be a challenge on their own, but I can't control that as much. Um, but my staff, I really need to reinforce that with so they don't, they don't take us down just operationally. Okay. And then one other question here. Are you going to do any school groups or just no groups, period? Nah, you know, if capacity allows for it, we will. We've taken the stance of it's easier to loosen restrictions than tighten them. So initially we're saying no. I don't think the schools are going to do it anyway. Um, but you know, we, and we were given stuff away midweek to do that. And so, it, you know, we don't lose much by saying no, um, yeah. but we'll see, we can change course in a matter of minutes if we have to, but right now we're saying no. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot, Aaron. That's, that's great. Great insights. Next up is Lindsay Delorier, who's the VP and COO of Bolton Valley in Vermont. Um, Lindsay, if you could, just for the folks who aren't familiar with Bolton, give us the one minute overview of what your facilities uh, are, your business model, your market, and then talk about the many steps that you've been taking to deal with this COVID season. Sure. Um, <clears throat> hi, everybody. Nice to see you. Um, so Bolton Valley, we're actually in, a, as far as Vermont is concerned, the most populous corner of it, which means <laughs> we have about uh, 200,000 people or so within about a half hour of us, which uh, by Vermont standards is bang and busy. Um, <laughs> but uh, within just a few hours, we've got some, you know, some pretty big population centers, one of which the border is closed to Quebec this year. So, you know, that'll have some impact. And then um, we have a lot of skiers who come up from Boston and New York and Jersey and all the sort of surrounding areas less so than the bigger ski areas for sure. We have a smaller percentage of out-of-state visitors, but that's an area that we're you know, looking at and trying to grow, um, though our bed base is somewhat limited. Um, that being said, we do operate a hotel up here. Um, we've got a number of privately owned condominiums up here on the mountain, um, two cafeterias, two lodges, two cafeterias, um, 
few different restaurant venues, uh, deli, so not a lot of food and beverage and uh, rental retail, ski and ride, kind of the gamut for where small skier. We also do about 150,000 skier visits. Um, so it's quite quaint and quite small, but we have, you know, pretty, a, a pretty uh, wide variety as far as um, the services and amenities that we offer here. Um, and uh, so last year, unrelated to COVID, obviously we, um, we installed RFID gates um, and an RFID ticketing system um, at our resort. So we're really glad that we did that last year. It uh, sets us up to be able to, you know, sort of manage capacity um, using that technology. Um, so in prep for COVID, we did a lot of the same things that everybody's talking about here, uh, but we also really leaned into continuing with our IT upgrades. So this is something that we've been talking about doing, um, and we basically shortened up the time horizon and, and put it at the front of our capital improvements list instead of maybe in second or third position. So um, we ended up pulling the trigger this summer on things that we we're probably going to do a couple years out instead. Um, and, uh, and so we're really focusing on pre-buying. Um, we are also, we, we've been using Seriousware. I'm sure a lot of you guys are on Seriousware for your point of sale as well. And we've been using Liftopia and so forth, and so forth for um, a lot of our ticket sales. And we're, we're bringing um, all of that in-house now. We're going all access. Um, and that's our that's the same company that we did our gates with and so uh, we'll be managing in-house now pre-sales on uh, tickets and actually we'll have the ability to uh, pre-sell our uh, ski and ride program our instruction program and we'll be able to also um, pre-sell all of our rentals so we're really pushing for um, pre-buying from our customers and um, while we will still have in-person guest services staff, it will be much reduced and we've moved all of those uh, interactions with the exception of in rental and retail really to outdoors um, using windows. But even with rental and retail, we're gonna have people pre-register, fill out all their information, what level skier they are, height, weight, everything. And we're gonna do our best to pre-set up all of their gear so that when they arrive, they'll actually pick it up. So um, they'll just show up to an outdoor window and we'll actually hand them their gear and um, we'll have some windbreaks and tents and you know um, fire pits and things uh, on days when it's not absolutely below zero. Um, but on decent days where we can do it, we'll have people slip their boots on outside. We are also getting some outdoor cubbies. I saw somebody else said that they were doing that for um, people's shoes and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna try to keep people outside as much as we can. If they if the boots don't work and they need to come in and try it on, we can bring them inside. Or if it's below zero, we don't have many skiers um, up here on those days anyway, so uh, capacity is not too much of an issue. Um, we are also moving. We're closing down our cafeterias, and uh, we're doing a grab and go window. Somebody else said they were converting a window into a into a kind of grab and go, you know, slider takeout window. We're doing the same thing. Um, at uh, instead of the cafeteria and then um, and then we are having a second pickup station for hot food where they'll also pre-order that on uh, their they'll order that pre-order online it'll give them a time and then they can go pick it up um, we are doing 
um, table seating in our main sort of tavern and dining area. Uh, but following all the state of Vermont restrictions around distancing between tables and so forth. So we will have reduced capacity there, but we will do some table service um, still um, to accommodate that. And um, ski and ride, everything's happening outside. We've, um, we've adjusted our uh, season long programming for kids to uh, be half days. So Typically what we've done is full day season long programming for kids on Saturdays and Sundays. You can sort of select Saturday or Sunday and then it's a full day program and we provide lunch with the instructor. Um, and now we're actually just moving it to half days. The reason being we don't have enough space inside to bring the kids in um, to have lunch all together. So uh, people can still sign up for both a morning and an afternoon session, but the kids have to either meet up with their parents or just fly solo um, for lunchtime. And, um, yeah, we're trying not to, we're trying not to limit our pass holders. Uh, if we have to do, um, if we have to do manage capacity, we'll do it through our ticket sales. So what that has led to for us is a real focus on our yield management in terms of our skier days. So right now that's really uh, been through our season pass sale price points, thinking about, um, you know, how many skier days, uh, how many skier days each pass holder typically typically skis in a season and, and putting a, you know, putting a price on that that's a little higher uh, than in previous years. And we also introduced a new pass product, a blackout pass. Somebody said they had like maybe 13 or 14 days where they really have, you know, a full capacity on their hill. For us, we identified nine days. So we blacked those nine days out and we kept the price point on that blackout pass consistent with our price point, uh, you know, sort of our normal priced here on what would have been our normal unrestricted pass so that you know if you're a local you're gonna you're gonna feel very comfortable blackout price point and we increased the price somewhat significantly on our totally unrestricted seasons pass um, we're getting our pass sales are also up and so um, similar to what Aaron was describing we actually thought about should we should we do we want to keep selling passes because we really do want to leave room for ticket sales but we decided to to use that blackout pass strategy and just um, decided that we could manage our skier day yield on seasons passes just through pricing. So um, we'll just continue to increase that unrestricted pass as we see fit. In terms of when we get into the ski season with ticketing, and granted this is because we have the RFID technology that we're gonna be able to employ this strategy pretty easily, but um, in order to, you know, we expect we will have busy days where we uh, run out of slots, let's say, um, run out of lift tickets that we can sell. So what we're gonna do this year on weekends and holidays is we're gonna have a four hour product. So uh, people, can run for, uh, people can come and ski from nine to one, and then we'll actually extend our day on Sundays to five o'clock. We have night skiing on Saturdays, so it's not a non-issue on Saturday, but we'll actually run our lifts till five o'clock so we can sell a one to five ticket. And then, um, you know, that half day ticket will be much, you know, significantly more than half of our normal full day ticket. And then the full day ticket will be a little bit more than it typically would be. So again, we're, we're playing with how we're approaching our yield management, yield management strategies. And we're hoping that we'll be able to um, encourage people to, you know, come and ski for four hours and then turn the mountain over um, two times or maybe even three times um, on days when we are offering night skiing. Um, so yeah, that's a quick kind of overview of some top line strategies that, 
that we're focusing on here at Bolton. Okay, Lindsay, before I let you skip over this, um, how much fun has it been to try to institute all these technology changes in a year where you're also changing your, your actual products as well? Well, I assume there's a fair amount of training that has to go into all of that. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of like living in the, in like, this is like a redux for us because the RFID, you know, um, was such a big project. And, and by the time we dialed that in, it was like a race to just kind of the same thing again. So um, it's an enormous challenge, but we actually have an, a pretty incredible ops team uh, between some of our lead, you know, some of our department managers who are taking this on again this year. Um, so it's stressful, but in terms of changing the products, honestly, it's, it's really not, it's really not that big of a deal for us to make a four hour product or to, you know, change the price points or to introduce the blackout. It's just a matter of, you know, putting that product, um, into the software and offering it up for sale. Um, and I, I mean, I've, I've actually found that process kind of fun this year, really to, you know, it's kind of freeing and it's, it's, it gives you a, this year has given us such a different perspective and our director of sales and marketing, Scott Pellegrini is um, always pushing us to think outside of the box and do some crazy things, kind of like what Aaron was talking about actually. And, you know, it's so easy to be like, you, you know, to be afraid to make big and radical changes. And this year is an opportunity to make some of the bigger and more radical changes and, and to have people feel like it makes sense and it's okay. So, um, so actually I'm kind of having fun with the new product designs and the opportunity to play with different yield management strategies that we might've been a little bit more scared to try in the past. And I'm really excited to see how they work out. And I think probably we'll, um, hopefully we'll land on some innovations that we'll carry forward into, you know, into regular operations in future years. Yeah. Lizzie, yeah. I don't think I've seen anyone else who's as who is as excited about this coming season as you are. That's really yeah. good to see. And, and Lindsay, before we go uh, toward our next panelist, I did want to ask, because um, there, there's been a lot on social media about this, that the, the cross-state travel restrictions um, that Vermont has been talking about, and, and you know, Vermont on the news every night is, is still in that, that green with the red all around you. And, um, you know, but we also know Vermont takes what almost up to 80% of their customers come from out of state uh, for ski areas. You said less so for you, but um, is that going to impact you at all? This whole uh, cross state travel restrictions, is it going to impact your business at all? It definitely will. Um, and, you know, um, Rick, I'm excited about the innovations. I'm not sure how excited I am about this season. I actually can't wait to be on the other side of it. It's pretty nerve wracking, but um and one of the nerve-wracking things really is that interstate travel because as much as we do have a really strong local market um, and a great season pass holder base, we do really need to sell those lift tickets and, um, and, and you know, we have a hotel up here and we really would like to fill that hotel. I will say we did take 17 units out of our, um, sort of in light of what you're saying, because, you know, we had some really difficult questions earlier in this year before the governor, we had 50% hotel occupancy restrictions running all summer and fall. That just finally got lifted. Um, but even regardless of that, because of the travel restrictions with all the red states around us where they're supposed to quarantine before they come into the state, you know, we were asking if we even had a market, an out-of-state market who could come here. Um, but, uh, but 
so we took 17 rooms out and we converted them into ski, ski cabanas, which we sold at a somewhat premium price to people who want to have their own private base lodge for the season. And that actually was a resounding success. We had so many more applications than units we were willing to pull out of the hotel um, within the first three hours of, um, within the first three hours of, of making that public. So, so that, that was interesting. Uh, that's kind of one of those things where you think, wow, maybe I wonder if there's the market for this in the future too. But, um, but what other, ho so we had our hotel shut this summer. I should, I should say that at the outset, um, cause we're doing a hotel renovation, but so we've been talking to some of our other friends in the hotel industry and, and they've, they've figured out a way to manage that. And that is really by having people sign, um, you know, sign a statement saying that they have adhered either, you know, uh, coming, they're coming from a green state or they've adhered to the 14 day quarantine in their state, which they're allowed to do. Um, or they've done a seven day quarantine with a recent um, COVID test. So we're having every single hotel guest uh, sign a statement to that effect, as well as calling every guest before they arrive to discuss it and really understand um, what they've done to be able to travel to the state. So it's a lot, but other hotels have had success with that. So we're crossing our fingers that that holds true for us as well. Um, and we're optimistic. Thank yeah. you so much, Lindsay. Um, um, Rick, did you have any final question before we move on to Robert? I did have one last question. That was about your backcountry program. Could you talk a little bit about how that's going to work this year or what you expect from that this coming season? Yeah, so we've got a we've got a pretty cool backcountry scene here with guides and um, a demo and rental fleet. Uh, Bolton is really known for incredible side country, and um, we really see ourselves as kind of the gateway for people who want to get into the sport to learn to do it here, as well as for those of us who have more experience and um, are comfortable in the backcountry. It's a never-ending playground, so we love the backcountry here at Bolton Valley, and um, we're expecting that to really see some uh, an explosion of growth, which it's already seen. I mean, our numbers were up over 200% year over year, um, each year, last year and the year before. It's just a growth area. It's not a high yield area, so it's not like we're raking in the dough with our backcountry scene or anything, but we are focusing on, um, on uh, strategies to drive revenue in, in that area, and we're having some success with it. So we think we think our guides will, you know, will be very busy. And we've also, um, we're also doing in addition to our normal season long leases for Alpine gear and snow and snowboards, we're doing uh, season long backcountry gear leases this year too, as another uh, introduction. Um, so uh, it's, we're getting a lot of interest in that. And, and yeah, I think, I think we'll be quite busy with our Nordic and backcountry uh, programming this year. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Um, now we're going to go to um, our final panelist, Robert McClendon, who is the Ski Area Manager at Tahoe Donner in California. Thanks for joining us, Robert. Um, why don't you give us a, a minute or less of um, framing up Tahoe Donner and a little bit about your market, your place in it, and the uh, type of operation. Yeah, Tahoe Donner, uh, we're an HOA, um, but we're a small ski area also. Um, we also operate a cross-country facility, which is pretty much world-class. Um, we have, we're right in, we're only ski area in the town of Truckee, uh, which we have all the big hitters around us. Um, but we are a, uh, basically a small family ski area where we are the best place to begin. And uh, we teach a lot of young kids, uh, professional skiers, kids, 
snowboarders uh, how to ski uh, at Tahoe Donner. Um, so we're looking forward to a great season up here. Uh, we have um, all the big hitters around here, Altera, which Squaw and Alpine, and then we also have Vale Resorts, North Star Heavenly, um, and then we also have Boreal uh, and Soda Springs nearby and Sugar Bowl. So we have a lot of big resorts around us and we're just a small piece of the pie around here, um, but we're doing our best to uh, figure out our plans for the upcoming season, uh, which can, we can talk about. Yeah, so why don't you take us through, you know, you mentioned you have a small lodge and how are you considering managing capacity in that? Yeah, so our, our lodge is about 15,000 square feet, uh, roughly 100 seats um, for dining. Um, we plan on probably most likely not allowing people inside of our building as much as possible. Just actually just paying attention to our rental department, uh, which is a large revenue stream for us and streaming people through a wonder our uh, directional kind of unit through our rental process. Um, we are going to uh, probably have offering like chow now or square for our food and beverage operation where we're going to packages lunch up and get those out to our guests as quickly as possible. Uh, most of our, uh, we've done a huge amount of investment into Aspenware this year. So we're really uh, making strides on that to make sure that we sell tickets online, um, selling rentals online, um, and doing as much online as possible before the guest uh, gets to us. We're also hoping to implement the arrival program um, through Aspenware where they will be able to uh, do do a 3D barcode and be able to scan and the tickets were printed out for the guest. Um, and you'd mentioned the box lunch, um, and I think you and I talked about you doing a cross promotion with that. Yeah, I, I was really trying to figure out yield and, and stuff. And I think uh, adding a box lunch onto it, um, so it's all pre-wrapped, pre-made by US Foods, and then it's just, it's given to the, uh, the guest right when they, uh, come up at 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock when they uh, want to have lunch. So that would be on our online platform through Aspenware. Great. Um, and take us through um, parking. And so you, you've got parking at the main area, but then you also have parking at the Nordic area, right? So does that allow you to spread things out? Are you going to have any issues with, with managing parking? Uh, capacity of parking is always a huge, um, a huge problem. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, we, we do have some offsite parking areas that we have available, but um, parking is always going to be trouble. It's trying to get those people parked as quickly as possible and spread out as possible um, so that they can get up to the resort. We're kind of landlocked, so people actually have to walk through a bunch of condos to get up to our ski resort, um, which is kind of a challenge. We will be operating our buses at some sort of capacity level uh, to get people up there. Um, and there's been a lot of talk this year. Um, for those that were operating in the summer, and um, we've heard this time and again, that there was a lot of new outdoor enthusiasts um, coming up to our mountain environments and in and, and record-breaking months of July and August for some of our activities. And um, you have a little bit of a summer operation there with your beachfront thing there. And so what did you, do you expect that same, um, in you know, demand from new customers and um and the worry is are, are they going to understand some of the protocols that our skiers can adapt to and how are you going to spread them out are you offering anything else for them to do um 
Yeah, I think uh, people adapted pretty well this summer. Um, remember, we are an HOA, so we have some private amenities such as our beach club where we did an hour and a half um, kind of installment so that they would be able to go down there. We actually saw pretty close to our normal numbers um, and it wasn't as packed. It was a better experience. Um, so the capacity was a good thing. We also operated a, uh, a gym with capacity levels with pools. Um, and we were very successful on those programs throughout the uh, summertime. We saw a huge influx on people riding bikes, um, using our trail system that we have, which is a very extensive trail system. Um, and so us being in Truckee, and I don't know if everybody's seen the news, but uh, we're the new Silicon Valley kind of, and we were seeing Tahoe Donner uh, very impacted with more residents staying up there full time based on the COVID. Uh, so we think we're going to be about 60% of our homes in Tahoe Donner will be um, basically being be used during this uh, COVID time over the winter also. Compared to what, what's your occupancy on? Between 18 to 20%. Wow. So it's a huge increase on full time. Our season passes are ahead of last year. Um, and at some point we will decide to probably take those down. We have a combination pass where you can use cross country and downhill. Um, and we also have a just downhill or, or an Arctic passes. Uh, and we see about 100,000 between the two resorts of skier visits. Okay. And do you think that there'll be an increase in um, interest in Nordic new, new customers? Yeah, um, we, we see a huge increase. Uh, we saw that at, uh, we actually maintained our resort as a trailhead for a few weeks after the COVID time. We were one of the ski areas in uh, California that closed first as the downhill operation um because we saw the writing on the wall and we wanted to give our membership a, a you know the heads up that we know we're going to close on this sunday um so we're going to see a huge impact uh we do have some backcountry area that's uh, free accessibility um so we're going to see a huge influx on that we think also and as far as managing capacity at the base area um what adjustments have you had to do to create the the space for the queuing and um and just you know if you can't let people in the lodge spreading people out down there how are you doing that so we're going back to our old ticket windows uh to um uh, through a mic and that's we'll be back to normal what we were five six years ago versus bringing people inside so the area that we designated as a uh, ticket lesson location will turn into more of a rental operation where we can give them their information they need and kind of, um, I forget who was talking about it, but the pods of uh, getting people with their boots on and then not have them go through our rental shop with our skis. We just line them up on another area so we can just hand them their skis after we've teched their uh, equipment. So trying to, uh, you know, eliminate the impact to our guests and our employees and limit the amount of spread that could happen. Right. And there's been a lot of questions on this huddle about tubing. You, you offer tubing, right? Yeah, we have a snowplay uh, location. Um, it's not on our sites, on our Trout Creek recreational site. Um, it's a big outdoor driving range where you're allowed to, um, we have two tubing lanes and then we have sledding also. Do you have any protocols that you'll put in place for the tubing area? Yeah, most likely we're gonna be, capacity is gonna be like an hour to hour and a half um, and narrow that time down with a time that we can clean just how we kind of ran our beach club this summer. Um, and we're going to be using uh, electric static uh, uh, machines to hopefully uh, disinfect and cover all the surfaces. The electric static machines? 
So they'll cover, the, they'll spray down the tubes and indoor spaces and... Tubes, indoor spacing, skis, any touch contacts. Uh, we've, we're gonna purchase about 15 in, in the association to hopefully uh, do a good job disinfecting and staying on top of it. Wow. Well, B Scott, do you have, there's been a lot of questions about protocols. Can we turn the mics on? Yeah, we, um, many of our members do tubing. It's a significant uh, revenue source for them. Um, I think, as I just mentioned, disinfecting the tubes, um, social distancing, required use of masks. An interesting, uh, I can think of three or four conversations I've had with different uh, ski areas in New York where we, we talked about physical plants. Uh, you know, how do we redesign, rethink our physical plant for today's challenges? And uh, yeah, they're taking backhoes and expanding their staging areas, making more room where they can. Uh, you know, what, what you find with a lot of tubing operations is they're kind of uh, postage stamped in there. You know, the ski area was built way before tubing ever came around. So where are we gonna squeeze tubing into? So if you look at uh, tubing operations, you know, it's changed a lot of, it's from the beginning days, but a lot of them are very tight in space. And uh, I think it's a good use of a backhoe make a little more room and spread things out a little. Great. Um, and Robert, coming back to you, um, just curious, you know, you are surrounded by a lot of the, the big guys and, um, but you have, you're sort of sitting in that, uh, you know, what we're reading, which is that people are going to go to their local that, um, you know, cross country and Nordic, and that's going to do well. Do you have optimism, more optimism for this winter or um, are you, nervous about all well-laid plans going out the window because um, COVID will increase? Yeah, we're gonna be pretty dynamic and nimble. Like our plans are, if you're gonna write a plan, you might as well just have 13 different options on the other side of it. Um, with our Nordic situation, it, it serves more as a trailhead. Um, it, I think the it, we have so many kilometers it's 115 kilometers of trail that we have it really spreads people out pretty quick um, our downhill ski area of course is going to have capacity issues um, on those bigger days you know i think it's 30 of them that we're going to be over that 750 skier visit uh, level and we'll see what midweek does maybe people decide to strive and go midweek versus going um, on weekends and holidays because they are now living up there and they have the time to spread out their uh, their use. Okay. And Ben, are you doing anything? There's a lot of sanitation questions. How are you sanitizing rental and just surfaces? Um, it's a great question. You know, we've been, uh, one smart thing we did this year is we actually hired out um, the, the cleaning at night um, to a professional service that has expertise in this. So we are, you know, looking to them to provide some of this equipment for us um, and to us. But furthermore, at night, they're going to come through every one of our departments and do a thorough disinfecting. Um, and, and they're folks that are professionals in this field. So it's going to cost us a little extra money in that regard, but I think it's worth it. You know, have you heard of what your areas are doing for sanitation? Have there been any creative solutions for small areas that might not be able to afford an electrostatic machine? Um, who aren't part of a, an HOA of Silicon <laughs> yeah. Valley. <laughs> Limited resources, uh, yeah. the real small mom and pop ski areas. Uh, you, 
you know, nothing uh, really exceptional. Uh, what we've tried to do is get information out to our members as to what products people are using at what price, uh, trying to let people know what's available, what's out there. And of course, uh, Mount Peter is doing something unique down in uh, Warwick, New York. Uh, they're using a, um, I think it's with Snowbright, they're using a, a light, uh, ultraviolet light uh, disinfecting. Uh, you could always talk to uh, Rebecca uh, Kohlberg down at Mount Peter if anybody has any uh, questions on that. Um, one, one thing I wanted to say, I know we're getting short on time. I, I'd be really remiss if I didn't point out to everybody on the call, um, when you're having discussions about capacity, keep in mind that uphill lift capacity is really a non-starter for our small ski areas. Uh, here in New York, most of our small ski areas have double chairs only, 30, 40 year old equipment, old halls where halls were built here in New York, old Borvigs. Um, if we went with a 50% uphill capacity on chairs, most of these ski areas would pretty much be looking at their lift capacity cut in half. If you had triples, I mean, your doubles, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, quads, six packs, you, you have a little more flexibility in your uphill capacity and uh, what you can entertain for your outside guests getting them up the hill. But it's really a non-starter for us here, and we're, we're really uh, working hard to avoid any uphill capacity limitations because the small ski areas are the ones that are going to really get hammered there. I just wanted to make that point. Uh, I'd be yeah, no, that's that's a very out. good point. Very good point. Um, I want to have um, Kelly update us a little bit, um, and she's had a chance to kind of listen to all of you. Hey, Kelly. Hi there. Hi, Hi. everyone. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for um, giving me an opportunity to talk. Uh, this has been great. So many good examples um, out there. I really loved uh, what Lindsay and so many um, others were talking about in terms of, you know, um, prioritizing technology. And what I liked about that is that, you know, even if you can't do it this year, if you don't even have a capital budget, it's something that we should continue as a ski industry um, do is prioritize technology because it's going to help us um, in so many facets of our of our work. Um, and Scott brought it up at the beginning. He was talking about contact tracing. We've been hearing a lot of um, feedback from from folks in the ski industry about contact tracing, about outbreaks. So we're actually working on a communication plan. Um, and the best advice is always know what your your local public health officials um, are asking you to do, but um, Adrian is putting it together right now and we don't know exactly how we'll deliver it, but it will be in several different um, manners and it will cover contact tracing. It will cover um, outbreaks and especially the focus on communication. So I just wanted to share that all with you. Um, so I, I guess that's it and uh, thanks. Great, thanks Kelly. And I think that's an important piece that we didn't um, get to. There was just too much, which is the the worry of if there is an outbreak and being able to know the steps to to manage it and stay out ahead of it and you know we've all seen that played out over in Austria and it won't die that that story just keeps circulating and and uh, I think it is a uh, a cautionary tale to making sure that the, the PR piece and the handling of um, an outbreak is is thought through so that's great that NSA is working on that and um, Rick do you want to Say any final words? Well, you know, I think when we were putting this panel together, the word that came up most often was fluid. Everyone is 
everyone has their plan and everyone is ready to change on a, on a moment's notice and try something different. Um, it wasn't just you, Aaron. Other people actually mentioned that same word and, and the notion that everyone's going to have to remain flexible and, and be willing to change and adapt is, uh, is really, that's really the biggest thing I've seen lately. And that that's clearly dominating everyone's thinking and planning at the moment. I think that's, that's wise because we, we hardly know what's going to happen next week, let alone three months from now. Small resorts especially are coming up with right-sized operating plans that fit their facilities, and they may be nimble enough to change course as dictated by the evolution of COVID-19. The November issue of SAM Magazine is coming soon. Subscribe or renew your subscription to SAM Magazine at www.saminfo.com slash subscribe. Check out the special opening 2020 section aimed at helping you smooth some of the operational bumps we will encounter this season. The small cost of a subscription is a big value for you and your team. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Winter Remix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and thank you for listening to PodSAM. <laughs>